be courageous to suffer in the face of, of oppression and tyranny. We thank you most of all for your providence, for orchestrating different events so that we are here where we are now in a nation that you have blessed tremendously. And we have turned our back on you for the most part. Lord, I know that you have your righteous remnant still here, and that is why you continue to uh, protect us and provide for us. We don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to uh, think we have it coming to us. Uh, Lord, this is all because of your overwhelming grace and mercy upon us. And that's just a glimpse. Lord, we know that as believers in Jesus, our citizenship is truly in heaven. And you have won us that citizenship. You have won us that home through tremendous suffering. Through taking our sin upon yourself, experiencing humiliation, mockery, beating to the point of be being beyond recognition, being nailed to a cross, dying on that cross. Lord, we know that the story didn't end there. That you came back to life, that you live again to extend your new life to each and every one of us who say, I don't want who I was before. I only want Jesus. Take all of who I am. Forgive me of my sin. And that's it. We know that you will forgive us. We know that you will cleanse us. And we know that you will take us home to be with you someday. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to food, which types of food you're putting into your body is important to your body's health. And from a Christian perspective, important for our physical working for God's kingdom. What follows isn't even from what might be called some kind of hippie source. According to Healthline.com, here are some of the most nutrient-dense foods along with which health conditions they best combat. Wild-caught salmon is high in omega-6s and 3s, multiple and various vitamins and minerals, and studies have shown that eating it once or twice a week have a lower risk of uh, heart disease, dementia, depression, and many other common health issues that plague Americans. Fresh and cooked garlic, cloves, are one of the most used additions to culinary dishes all around the world. And not only is it delicious, but it's packed with B and C vitamins, along with multiple other vitamins and compounds that lower blood pressure, bad cholesterol, and the risk of heart disease in the future. Studies have also shown that garlic has several cancer-fighting properties that lower the risk of multiple types of common cancer. Not only do blueberries have high antioxidant properties, I'm sure you've heard that, but these properties can cross the blood-brain barrier and have positive effects on the brain, including improved memory in older adults. Like garlic, blueberries also lower blood pressure, bad cholesterol, and have cancer-fighting properties. Whole eggs, especially those that come from pasture-raised sources, are referred to in the scientific nutrition community as nature's multivitamin. Have you heard that before? That eggs are known as nature's multivitamin. 
They're packed with multiple vitamins, minerals, high-quality protein, and healthy fats, all of which help with a general healthy life, weight loss, and help prevent vision problems like cataracts and macular degeneration. And lastly, this, this may be the most welcome one on the list, dark chocolate. <laughs> All right, I hear some uh, agreement there, according to Healthline, and obviously in reasonable amounts, uh, and with at least 70% cacao content, is one of the most nutritious foods one can eat. It's loaded with fiber and various minerals, scored even higher in antioxidant level than even blueberries, and has been discovered in studies to once again lower blood pressure, increase blood flow, lower bad cholesterol, improve brain function, and in one study, decrease the risk of heart disease by 57% in individuals who consumed it more than five times a week. So there's one candy that's actually very good for you. And we've seen some other foods that can be added to our diets to keep us healthy, feeling well, and in good shape for the promotion of the gospel, maintenance of the facilities God has entrusted to us, a long life to teach and live out biblical values to our children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren, and building God's kingdom on earth. But as nutrient-dense and good for you as these foods are, there is one form of sustenance that is astronomically more nutrient-dense and the best form of sustenance one could ever hope to internalize. What is that, and how does it affect the most important part of who we are as humans? You heard me uh, uh, reference that we're continuing on in our, our Gospel of John series. We're continuing on in John chapter 6. We left Jesus last week having brought up in his conversation with a group of people challenging what Jesus was supposed to be doing as the Messianic King, a shocking, disturbing, and downright revolting image about himself. He introduced a concept where one must eat his flesh and drink his blood, both of which he was giving for the world in order to have any true life on earth, as well as have the only way of receiving eternal life. We talked about how people could only wrap their minds around what Jesus was saying in a purely physical way. When Jesus meant these references as spiritual, just as physical bread starts to become one with us upon entering the body, Jesus' body and blood, which he gave as a sacrifice to both pay for our sin and cleanse us from it, must become one with all of who we are. What does good, well-flavored, nutritional food do for our physical bodies? The very first felt observation is that it tastes good and is refreshing to us. Jesus, as the embodiment of God's word, is also the fulfillment of these words by David. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The wisdom of God is the best tasting sustenance to our souls. The world loves to spew its version of wisdom and try to shove it down our throats, which only leads to destruction. But God's wisdom that gives instruction and wisdom for every part of our lives sustains all of us. Don't take advice from those with a worldly viewpoint. 
I'm going to say that again. Don't take advice from those with a worldly viewpoint. They're not thinking with God's wisdom. But the best or some kind of expert can come up with. That's all they can think of. But this is what the Apostle Paul says towards that way of processing through uh, experiences and events in our lives and in this world. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind. And I'm going to add any experts in mankind. And the weakness of God is stronger than mankind. Now, we obviously know from the the rest of Scripture that there is no foolishness or weakness with God, but if there was, that still would be wiser than anything any mere human or doctor or psychologist or politician or TikTok star could come up with. Paul points that exactly out when he says, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. That gap between the wisdom of the most brilliant philosophers, scholars, and debaters of this world being ever more and more complicated to not offend anyone, and the simple yet profound wisdom of found in God's word becomes more and more glaring with each passing day. And who is the ultimate embodiment of God's wisdom? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We must and need to be feeding our souls with God's wisdom from his word fulfilled by Jesus and revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and not looking to any mere human for what to think really about anything in this life. God's wisdom is truly the best tasting nourishment for our spiritual selves. What are we feeding our spiritual selves with daily? Everyone's op-ed to news outlets, your friend's rage at recent Supreme Court decisions, some sort of Christian person's nice-sounding memes, horoscope readings, Twitter wars between notable people, or the quiet feeding on God's wisdom in his word. And connection with him in prayer, won by the sacrificed body and blood of Jesus. What does nutrient-packed and good food do for our physical bodies? Once we consume it, it next satisfies our hunger, right? That's what Jesus' sacrificed body and blood does for our spiritual selves. We can finally have spiritual rest, no matter how the world rages on around us. We no longer have to look over our shoulders, worrying about if what we're doing, how many good works we're doing, how many prayers we've prayed, how many rules or pillars we've followed, how much good energy we've attracted, self-sacrifice we've accomplished, how in tune with the universe we've become, or how many sacraments we've fulfilled because Jesus' sacrificed body and blood has taken care of everything that needs to be taken care of in order for us to have entrance into heaven and God with us in the here and now. 
All of this is wrapped up in John chapter 6. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 55 like, a, like we read during our scripture reading. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John 6:55 or look this up uh, in your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. All of this is wrapped up in verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is is true drink. Jesus' sacrificed body and blood also satisfies any hunger the world tries to perpetuate as worthwhile. God has already given us an identity in Christ. He has won us through Jesus, and he is making us more and more into the likeness of Jesus and his word. Jesus has already given us a life's purpose, to seek him each day, and then to live that out each day to glorify him. And God has already given us a life's mission, to go out into the world or our individual worlds, leading others to Jesus, making disciples in connection with the spiritual meaning of baptism, and teaching them to obey Jesus' commands. That extends to working for God and not for men in our earthly jobs. That extends to handling our finances according to the Bible's wisdom. That extends to sin we don't want to surrender. That extends to addictions that are an uphill battle every day. That extends to husbands and wives loving and respecting each other as Jesus loves and gave himself up for the church. That extends to parents raising their children in the faith of Jesus and and the following of biblical instruction. That extends to what we spend our time doing on a regular basis. What does Jesus' body and blood do for us spiritually? If we're seeking to glorify God, it makes every part of our lives worthwhile and fulfilling. What else does food chock full of vitamins, minerals, protein, and other nutritional compounds do for our physical bodies? Well, it nourishes us. It gives us energy. It grows us. That's the perpetual and the compounding aspect of nutritious food. The more we eat it each day, the more its nutrients build up in our bodies. In the same way, the more we make everything that Jesus' body and blood has opened up for us and done for us in restoring our connection to the creator of the universe, if we take all of that and make that one with ourselves, the more those spiritual qualities, power, gifts, and blessing compound within our spiritual selves. The fruits of the Spirit are grown by the Holy Spirit and compound more and more each day with us. All of a sudden, years down the road, we can look back and see how much each of the fruits of the Spirit have been grown in us. One note on that. If you can't see much or any growth, then you've been filling yourself up too much with the world. Or you need to have a good hard look at your spiritual state and see if you ever actually repented and fully surrendered yourself to God through Jesus. Just as nutritious food gives us energy too, the Holy Spirit, given by way of making Jesus' body and blood one with ourselves, 
empowers us and gives us the spiritual energy to do the work God has for us to do and fight the spiritual attacks that come against us when we do that. If we're trying to live this life based on our own strength and power, no wonder we have no energy. No wonder we have no motivation, no strength, no fight left within us. But if we start and carry out each day by, sur by surrendering our own limited, finite, weak human strength to God and ask Him to fill us to overflowing with His power and strength, all of a sudden, we're going to be finding spiritual inspiration, new strength and power, and new excitement to live the life God has given to us. Say the things he wants us to say to the people he wants us to say them to. Raise our kids in his strength, energy, and patience. And do the work he has called us to do. Jesus' sacrificed body and blood was not given for us to lie down. It was not given to us to take it easy. It was not given to us to take the easy way out. It was not given to us to give up. It was given to us to fight the powers of darkness, especially as in your face as they are now. It was given to us to be a catalyst for change in the wisdom, truth, and love of God. It was given to us to fight for the lives and souls of our children and grandchildren, both born and unborn. It was given to us to fight spiritual battles on our knees, wielding the sword of the Spirit and calling on God to bring healing, freedom, wisdom, and broken chains to those who so desperately need it. Withholding God's truth in a world that is ruled by lies is not love. That word's been thrown around so many times especially recently, about what love is. What is the loving thing to do? Withholding the truth from a world that is ruled by lies is not loving. It needs to be shared. It needs to be shared in love, but it needs to be shared. We can only live this life as followers of Jesus in one way. Not with half of us invested in Jesus and the other half invested in this world, but fully connected to and committed to Jesus in every way. This isn't just good advice. This isn't my opinion. These are words straight from the mouth of Jesus. Verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. When we surrender every single aspect of our lives and who we are to Jesus and his Holy Spirit, we have that unbroken connection to all of who Jesus is. That's what this word abides in the Greek means, to remain and to stay, to remain and to stay. There's no compromise. There's no wandering away for different aspects of who we are. All of who Jesus is, is all of who we are. Obviously, this is a lifelong process. 
But it's a lifelong process that occurs because we live the rest of our lives remaining and staying and making Jesus our whole identity. Jesus' words here go hand in hand with what he will talk about a year from this point when he and his disciples celebrate the last Passover before his crucifixion. At that point in the future, Jesus says, Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are merely the branches. You have no identity in and of yourselves. Your identity is the vine. Your identity is me. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. These aren't my words. These are straight from Jesus. You can do nothing. What does a physical branch need to produce fruit? It needs to be connected and one with the vine, the tree that it's a part of. That vine is the source of nutrients, water, stability, and really life itself to that branch, right? All of what Jesus has been saying in chapter 6 is connected. We simply cannot live this life in this dark and confusing world on our own strength, on our own system of morality, and our own understanding of the future. We can't do it. It's no wonder that you look around you and so many people are running around this world with no foundation, no peace, and no hope. It's no wonder why we're seeing so much rage and worry and fear coming from people who don't have Jesus as their foundation. Instead, it makes perfect sense. If you have not made Jesus' sacrifice of body and blood one with yourself, making it the foundation for your eternal life and source of life now, you have nothing else to build a foundation upon. All you have is shifting sand. That's all you have. I hope your foundation is not on your finances. Because <laughs> look at the economy. And look at where it's heading. I hope your foundation is not on the government. Because it doesn't look like anyone really knows what's going on or what reality truly is. Or which direction to go in. And I'd say the same thing no matter what political party was in office. I hope your foundation is not on yourself and what you can do. Because we've all seen just how easily all of that can be lost. We must see. We must surrender ourselves to the fact and the truth. That all of the wisdom we can have. All of the provision we can have, both physical and spiritual, all of the power we can have to bear fruit for God's kingdom with our lives and our very lives themselves is only because of Jesus remaining in us. And it's all to him we owe. It has nothing to do with you. 
And at the end of all of it, it's only because of Jesus remaining in us and therefore us in him that we know where we're going when we die. Does the branch of a vine constantly think, ah, let me just see how little I can get by with venturing on my own, or let me just see how close I can get to the fire without jumping into it, or let me just see what I can do on my own and kind of go back to the vine when I need something or I'm in a lot of trouble. No, of course not. Those thoughts never cross that branch's mind, for the branch knows, I'm nothing. I have nothing. And I will have nothing without this vine. This vine is my everything. And the source of my everything. Instead, I better stick as close to this vine as possible. If you see a branch lying on the ground, broken off the tree or the vine, what is your assumption? It's already dead if it's lying on the ground. Separation from the tree, from the vine, ever, only, always brings death and dead thinking. We too must stick as close to and remain in the vine, just as the vine will never let us go. And I think every single one of us can say, thank you, Jesus, that you don't let me go. This source of life flows directly from the source of all life, God the Father, verses 57 through 58. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Again, verse 58 is a reiteration of what Jesus already said in verse 49, which we already covered. But his wrapping up of this illustration of him as the bread of life as if we remember, the people who Jesus is talking to are primarily Jewish and only operating within a Jewish framework, specifically the rabbi-taught teaching of the new manna accompanying the messianic kingdom and the people just wanting Jesus to initiate that kingdom by sending that new manna. In verse 58, Jesus reiterates that the physical bread that the people wanted, as well as their physical expectations of Jesus, and all that they can only process through, all that he said to them in a physical way, will ultimately be their death, just as their forebears die. A life spent seeking only the physical will only result in death both physical death and the ultimate spiritual death of eternal banishment from God's presence and a place of torment called hell. But if the people would only turn their focus from the physical and what they wanted and what they thought would make them happy and turn it to the spiritual and God and God's plan for salvation for them, they would live. And not just a spirit-filled life on earth, but live forever. That's because the physical will all die someday. 
Our bodies, if we die before Jesus comes back for us, will physically die. Plants and animals will die. Everything physical in this fallen world, cursed by sin, will die. Ultimately, this whole world, as the Apostle Peter notes, will all be destroyed in a raging fire, whatever form that takes, and be replaced by a new heavens and new earth for the redeemed to enjoy forever. Everything will die. Everything will be destroyed. Everything physical will die. Only the spiritual part of ourselves, our soul, and then resurrected bodies someday will last forever. Those are the only things that will last forever. And it's not whether or not your soul and resurrected body will last forever. It's a matter of where that soul and resurrected body will last forever. Where it's going to last forever. Is it going to last forever in eternal blessing? Or is it going to last forever in eternal torment? In verse 57, Jesus describes who is the source of this life in every way. That he then gives in every way to those who put their trust in him. The audience Jesus is speaking to is Jewish. They believe in God the Father. But Jesus is introducing to them that that same God the Father is the one who gives him life. And it's through him that God the Father will give eternal life to any human who puts his or her trust in Jesus. To that original audience, that's both shocking to them and doesn't make any sense to them, but that does not stop it from being the truth, does it? Jesus' message of salvation only through him and and the giving of God's wisdom to the world is shocking to them, offensive to them, and doesn't make any sense to them. But again, That does not stop it from being the pure truth, does it? When Jesus says in verse 57 that I live because of the Father, he's not referring to his existence, but the source of his power, wisdom, peace, and strength while he's ministering on earth, all the way up to the torture and death of crucifixion. What Jesus is saying is that just as he derives his power, wisdom, peace and strength through his connection and abiding with and remaining in the Father, anyone who comes to him will receive this same exact power, same exact wisdom, peace, and strength that he receives from the Father. That's huge, isn't it? We have access to that very same power, strength, and peace. That same spiritual sustenance, power, and wisdom that we see Jesus receiving from the Father is the same we can receive from the Father. Why? Because it's through both Jesus and the Father sending us the Holy Spirit to be the vehicle of that power, sustenance, and wisdom. In short, the same life that Jesus received from the Father is the same life we can receive from Jesus. So what does that mean for us today? That even as the world rages on around us, we cannot live our lives based on our own power, 
our own wisdom, our own manufactured peace like the world does. No, we've been saved for so tremendously much more. What the world has pales in comparison to what we've been given. We have been saved to peace with God. That is, we have been fully restored to him through Jesus, and we have all of who he is opened up to us. We've been saved to abide and fully remain in Jesus, just as he fully abides and remains in us, having an unbroken connection with the very source of life in all of its ways itself. We've been saved to be given the very wisdom of God himself, poured out by the Holy Spirit, and liberally, as the Apostle James points out, so that we can know how to approach any situation, any dilemma, any debate with the very wisdom of God and deal with any trial and heartbreak in life with the very wisdom of God. Even if everyone else in the world was deceived by the lies of Satan and the authorities he's been influencing and continuing to influence, we know we have been given the pure wisdom of God found in his word and revealed by his Holy Spirit to stand for the truth and to stand strong for the truth. We have been saved to have our spiritual and innermost selves nourished by the sustenance of which Jesus' body and blood was sacrificed for. The word of God, connection with Almighty God in prayer, and the movement and working of the Holy Spirit within us, growing all of the fruits of the Spirit and everything we need to live this life in this fallen world. We've been saved to be given eternal peace from God. Not only do we have peace with God, we have eternal peace from God. Peace that is not dependent on this world and peace that the world will never really understand for it can only come from God and peace that will spiritually guard our hearts and minds from fear and worry. We have been saved to have the stable foundation of knowing that God formed his plan for us, including what would happen in our lives and how many days they would last, along with everything else that would happen in the world, that God is orchestrating everything in our lives and in the world to happen according to his plan, and nothing, no amount of evil, no amount of persecution, and no amount of death will thwart that plan. We've been saved to be bright lights for Jesus in the midst of this dark world. Having been saved to an identity in Jesus, a Jesus-given purpose of seeking and glorifying God with our lives, and a Jesus-given mission of taking this hope to this dark, hurting, and deceived world. We've been saved to victory in every spiritual battle and every fight against depression, anxiety, and fear, knowing God is, by, is fighting these battles for us. And Jesus' death and resurrection has already defeated the kingdom of Satan, evil, and darkness. It's already happened. 
We've been saved to be given the armor of God to withstand any and all schemes and arrows set aflame with the fire of destruction shot at us by the enemy of our souls and the powers he controls. And we've been saved to the confidence and assurance that when death comes for us, it's God's timing according to his plan. And when we close our physical eyes here on earth, we'll open the eyes of our souls in the very presence of the one who gives us every aspect of this saved life, our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. May we find our peace and rest in that, not to be lackadaisical, not to be aimless, but to stand for the truth and love of Jesus. May we shine the light of that hope out for all to see, that they may wonder how on earth we have this hope and life. And may we take advantage of every opportunity we get to share the source and person of that hope and life, especially as we see the evidence of the last days all around us with each and every passing day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We may have read over them several times in our lifetimes, seen them as very simple words, and they are simple words, but there is so much profoundness, so much power, so much truth in these words. I pray that as the world rages and runs around screaming with fear and worry, we would be the ones who stand strong for the truth and hope and peace of Jesus. We can only do so because of the foundation that Jesus has won for us through his sacrificed body and blood. And may we make that body and blood one with us in every way, in every aspect of our lives, and our whole identity of who we are, that we may be one with you. We know that you're coming back for us one day. And we're thankful for that. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.